Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to Indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bearers, people in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of CANA, the Native American programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our Indigenous communities from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Mary V. Bordeaux. She's a Sichangu Lakota and is the co-founder and creative director of Racing Makepie, a collaborative space with a native art gallery and artist studio in Rapid City, South Dakota. She's received her bachelor's degree from the Institute of American Indian Arts and an MFA from the University of the Arts. Both degrees are in museum studies with an emphasis in exhibition design and planning. Mary is currently a doctoral candidate at St. Mary's University, exploring Lakota women's leadership. Mary has held the curatorial positions with the Heritage Center at Red Cloud Indian School and the Indian Museum of North America at Crazy Horse Memorial. Let's jump into this interview with Mary. Mary, thank you so much for joining us at Five Plain Questions. It's really great to have you here. Thanks for inviting me. I'm excited. <laughs> oh, same here. <laughs> Um, so if you could, uh, tell us a little bit about your background, introduce yourself and where you're from, please. Yeah. Um, well, my name is Mary Bordeaux. Uh, my, and I'm Sichangu Lakota, but I, um, grew up on Pine Ridge Reservation. My mom is Oglala and my dad is Sichangu and, um, but I was born and raised on the Pine Ridge Reservation. And um, I'm a mom, I have two sons, one who will be um, 24 in 15 days. <laughs> and then one, uh, and then my sec- second son or youngest son he, um, is 11 and he's going into the sixth grade, I think. <laughs> I think it's the sixth grade. Um, and I, you know, I have a, a partner or husband, uh, Peter Strong. Um, I'm a sister. I have um, two sisters and a brother. And, um, and my parents are Chris and Deb Bordeaux. Um, and like I said, my mom is Oglala and her, our family is from the Wombly Heisel area. Um, that's where my grandparents are from. Um, and then my dad is from the St. Francis area on the Rosebud Reservation. Um, and both my parents are educators. They um, I th- they actually started out, my dad started out as a mechanic and my mom was a nurse. They went to school at um, UTEC up in um, Bismarck, United Tribes. Um, and then um, so they did that for like 10 years and then they decided to become teachers. And so um, my dad was a like K through eight math teacher kind of, and then he went into gifted and talented and then became an administrator. Um, he has his master's in um, education from um, Oglala Lakota College. And then my mom um, went into special ed and um, and then when it did that for a long time and then went into uh, administration and then was a principal, head principal of Lonman School for um, like 17 years or something like that, mm. 15 years. 
um, but they're both uh, retired. And they say they're retired, like my mom officially retired, but then they both work so um, doing things for um, Indian Ed. So when when your parents uh, decided to go back to school um, for their advanced education, uh, were were you a young one at the time, or was this before you were around? Uh, how, how did that, uh, how did no. that work? So my they they my dad graduated um, with his bachelor's in uh, the eighties, I think. I feel like it was the same. My brother graduated from kindergarten <laughs> in the same year that my dad graduated from college uh, with his bachelor's. Um, and my mom uh, just worked on her bachelor's over like on nights and weekends. Um, and my little sister, Clementine, went to school with her. She spent a lot of time in my mom's classrooms like under the table or in the back of the room, you know, while my mom. And I was in high school when my mom um, finished and went to um, get her master's. And then when my oldest son was born in um, the late 90s was when my mom, it was the same year my mom graduated with her master's degree. And, you know, my my grandma, um, I guess I didn't say, you know, I have my um, bachelor's degree from the Institute of American Indian Arts and Museum Studies. Um, and then I have a, a MFA, a master's of fine arts in museum studies with an emphasis in exhibition planning and design. Um, and so, and then my mom has her master's and then my grandma has her master's. And my grandma went back to college um, after all her children were, um, she started college the same year my mom started college. And my mom's the oldest girl in her family. It's the second oldest and the, there's nine children. <laughs> but her and my grandma <laughs> went to summer school together, um, started college the same time. And so my grandma went back uh, then. So it's probably like in the 70s. Yeah, because my mom graduated in 69. So it was in the, the 70s and they went um, to school together. And um, and then my grandma got her master's too after she got her bachelor's um, and was one of the first um, Lakota teachers on our reservation in Pine Ridge, her yeah. and two other Lakota women. Um, and they taught school there. So, Where did they go to school at? My grandma went to school at Black Hills State. Hmm. And my mom started there, but then she started a family. Um, and so she went to UTech and became an, an, a licensed practice, practicing nurse at LPN. Um, and that's when my dad was became a mechanic. Um, and then they, my dad went back to Black Hills and got his bachelor's. And then my mom got her bachelor's from Oglala Kota College. And then her master's was a, kind of a joint program between Oglala Kota College and um, SDSU, South Dakota State University. And so her degree is from South Dakota State University. Okay. Okay. Her master's degree. So you went to IAIA initially for your bachelor's? Yeah, I did. I did. I started, when I started there, um, it was a, the school was only accredited for a two-year program. So I, um, for all of their degrees, 
they were just, they not just, I don't mean to say it like that, but <laughs> they were a two-year program um, and you could get a associate degree in museum studies. And mm-hmm. um, so that's, I did that and I graduated. And then the year after I graduated, um, the school was accredited for a bachelor's program in museum studies and creative writing. And so then I went back to school um, at I and um, did got my bachelor's in museum studies. So I was the first part of the first, one of the first two classes that graduated in museum studies from the Institute of American Indian Arts. And currently, um, you are you're with Racing Magpie. Yeah, I'm. So I'm the owner and co-founder and you know creative I guess creative director is my official title for racing magpie uh, and then it's which is a nonprofit with my husband Peter um, and then I'm also the vice president of programs and operations for first people's fund um, so and I've been at first people's fund for uh, almost four years now what was your your draw to this field? What what brought you uh, maybe first through college and then uh, in your professional career? Um, I always joke <laughs> when people ask that I'm too scared to be an artist. Um, and so I uh, was really always interested in the arts. And um, when I applied to school at um, IAIA, um, I was in a previous marriage and uh, my husband at that time um, was an artist and really wanted to go to art school. And I wanted to go too, but I didn't know, I didn't have like a a portfolio to like apply to art school with. And um, so when I found IA, um, (laughs) they, they had a museum studies program and they didn't have to have a portfolio to apply. Um, and so I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll apply to museum studies, even though I don't know what that is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll apply and then I could get there and then maybe I could take a few art classes and see how it goes. And so then um, that's what I did. And we got accepted and we moved to Santa Fe to go to school. And um, I ended up really enjoying um, working in the museum. And um, when I was a student there, um, a lot of our classes were at the museum in the collections. Um, A lot of our museum classes were like doing the actual exhibits that were gonna go up in the museum. Um, And so I was able to get a lot of hands-on experience um, and just really enjoyed the work of museum studies and um, working in the collections and working kind of in the back with handling all the art and um, supporting artists and helping artists figure out, um, like helping them envision what they they want to portray in an, an exhibit. Um, so we, I, when I was a student, this artist, um, Bentley Spang, came um, to put in a he's from Montana, he came to put in an installation in the museum. And um, 
And so, cause we were the students there, we just helped him put his installation in. And I remember he vacuum sealed a bunch of McDonald's hamburgers and French fries <laughs> and these like big plastic vacuum seal bags. Um, <laughs> and we had to hang them on the wall and, and he would ask us our opinion, like, what do you think of this? And what is, what if I put it this way? And what if I put it that way? And, and, um, and the fact that we were all like serious, but it was that we were like hanging vacuum sealed McDonald cheeseburgers or whatever <laughs> and French fries. But we were all like, and he, you know, told us all about it and why he wanted to do the things that he, why he was doing it and um, was just really appealing to me. And so um, I just continued down, like continued down that path. And then um, I got, uh, when I graduated with my bachelor's, um, they were, I got an internship at the Smithsonian at the National Museum of the American Indian. Um, it was when, and they were moving the collections, you know, the, from the George Gustav High Center down uh, out of New York, you know, out of the Bronx into um, Suitland, Maryland to the new collection space. And um, I, my internship was in the collections. Um, and so they would pack all the stuff up in New York and ship it to DC or Maryland. And then we would get these big boxes which were called Kivas, which was like super inappropriate, but that was the name of the shipping company. But they, and so we'd get these big boxes and then um, we would unpack the box um, with staff and just like a whole army of interns. And uh, so unpack, and then we would build um, mounts for them. So mm. we, um, and at that time that I was there, they were doing pottery. So I built a lot of um, archival mounts, storage mounts for pottery that summer. Um, and then I went home with no like <laughs> idea what I was going to do. Um, and just like three months after I moved home, they advertised a job at the Heritage Center at Red Cloud Indian School. Um, and it was like an actual museum job on Pine Ridge. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. So I applied and got the job. And it was to catalog the collection at um, the Heritage Center. And when I was did the interview and they said, you know, this is a cataloging job. It's only temporary. We figure about a year. And I thought, oh, that's a good, like, because I was still in this mindset of, like, I, I can't be on the reservation, you know, because they there's this perception that once you get a degree, you should move away and be off the reservation. You know, art was when I was younger to be seen as successful. Right. And mm -hmm. um, so I thought, well, a year is a good time, like a good length of time to get this experience. Um, but then um, I started getting into the cataloging and um, I was like, this is going to take a little longer than a year. And then I was like, um, the way it was being stored was like not archival material. <laughs> um, it was like old carpet and on the shelves made of like plywood and two by fours and mm. old bath mats, like lighting the shelving. And 
There was, and everything was categorized by artist alphabetically. So if an artist worked as a painting, did a painting or a sculpture or a little painting and a big painting, they were all still just on the same shelf. I see. Um, <laughs> and, it, and there were just, they had these old drawers that were just stuffed with things. And, um, and the pro, we were like, at the time it was like, we could use Polaroid, we were using Polaroids to document things. And I was like, this just doesn't seem right. And like, and I just come from NMAI, right, where we had this like huge collection, where they had this huge collection storage that was all state of the art and all this archival material. And um, I was like, this just, you know, we should try to do something better. Um, so I made kind of an appeal to the, the president of the organization um and just said you know it would be good if we could just get metal shelving that's powder coated because then it doesn't off gas and if we could just get some archival material doesn't have to be everything but just some things um and then i would like to organize things by materials like all the paintings to go together all the three-dimensional objects can go together and create a cataloging system. Um, and they listened, which was cool. Um, so they started fundraising for materials and um, I had to come up with a, so I developed a cataloging, like a numbering system. And um, I did a lot of like groundwork with um, just meeting with other uh, small museums and what they were using. Um, databases and things like that and found a database that worked for small museums at the time and started and then we and then the year was up <laughs> like you know and that was supposed to be the length of my my job was that year and so they said okay well you know we'll hire we'll hire you on for a little bit longer um and uh, we started cataloging the collection and um, when I started to, one of the things they thought they had about 3000 objects, maybe three, 4,000. And when I finished just the two dimensional, just the paintings and the paper stuff on paper, <laughs> we were already at 2000 and there were like three other rooms full of objects, um, and boxes and boxes of stuff. And. I was like, I think this is going to take a little longer than a year and we're going to need more people. And and then in the end, it took us like seven years to catalog the whole collection. And it was just under 10,000 objects at the time. Um, and then I and, and so this one year contract position turned into 10 years at the Heritage Center. Um, and we cataloged the whole collection um that you know we had an army of interns and we started a educational program there too um and i keep saying we and it was uh peter and i at the time he he started there about a year and a half after i started working um and then and then i and you know i just 
um, the importance of the objects and the importance of art, um, the importance that of things that our community makes, that Lakota people make, um, is what like kept me going in the collection and wanting to make sure people, because you know the the reason you catalog is so you can access it, <laughs> so you can you know what's mm-hmm. there, what you have. Um, and so that if you're looking for something, you can find it. Um, and so the hope was always that we would catalog and then we could get the community, give the community digital access and help to identify all of the things. And, you know, while we were doing that at the Heritage Center too, we also had the Red Cloud Indian Art Show. And so I started organizing that too. Um, after my first year um and then i just so then you know trying to get more artists to um so then i started working with artists to get more people to apply or send work to the red cloud indian art show um and just wanting to support um artists at all levels because you know one of the i think the really great things about the red cloud show is that um, you don't have to be an established artist, you know. <laughs> you could just be a com- you could be a community member who only does paintings for that show ever. You know, they don't ever do them any other time except to submit to Red Cloud. And so, um, or you could have somebody like um, doing Wilcox or <laughs> you know Don Montalo or Keith Braveheart, you know, in the show, and then. Or it's like, this is just my auntie's, <laughs> you know, work um, yep. <laughs> that she, I just saw her do at the kitchen table, you know? Um, so, and so, you know, I just yeah. really started, <laughs> yeah. So I just really started working with, um, with artists in that sense and encouraging people to apply um, and to submit work for the show, um, especially young folks um, are encouraging um, also encouraging like the more established artists to um, like test out new things um, because the show wasn't, we weren't trying to be like elitist or anything at the Heritage Center. We were just trying to be inclusive of all artists and all types of art. Um, and so that's, you know, and um in the middle of, you know, while the cataloging was going on there too, I decided I needed to get a master's degree. And um, I went in 2007, I went to move to Philly and um, spent two years there while I did my master's at the University of the Arts and um, museum exhibition planning and design. And uh, again, going to art school for a museum studies degree. Um, and just because I was really interested in the display of art and um, I guess cultural objects, but how do you, you know, just thinking about spatially how people interact with things and um, thinking about design and uh, how I can apply that to being a Lakota person. Um, and so but while I was in school, I also worked part-time at the museum. 
um, still organizing the art show, still overseeing, because um, we had a, like I said, a bunch of interns <laughs> and a temporary hire to help keep the cataloging going at the same time. So, and um, that's the same, you know, why um, race, we started Racing Magpie uh, was to have a gallery space that artists could just, that wasn't focused on sales and um, really work to have funds to support the artists if they're creating a show um, so that they don't have to worry about like a sale and just focus on the display of art. Um, and then also providing studio spaces for, you know, Racing Magpie provides studio spaces too for artists um, to be able to create. And then um, also creating like com community space for people to be, um, so. It's all just kind of jumbled up, but it's really all about art and supporting artists and wanting people to feel comfortable with art and knowing, understanding the importance of art. Just really believe, I just really believe that art is where hard conversations can happen, where you can um, get people to talk about things that maybe they don't think they want to talk about. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, I've, uh, you know, I've been to the to the the former location of Racing Magpie, and uh, I, I loved in the back there um, the spaces you had for uh, for artists back there, and there was a larger uh, working space uh, as well. Uh, we were there last year. Uh, we interviewed Keith Braveheart for uh, a project that we were working on, and uh, I just really loved that that layout back there. Um, but now you have the new space. Uh, in Rapid City there. And it's it's a new building. There's a lot of construction going on in there. Uh, Peter was generous, generous enough to give me a tour of the location. And I'm really excited about that new space. And your location is beautiful, especially behind uh, the, the building there. Yeah, we're just really um, excited about the new space. You know, we really... Um, and it's going to be different, right? The layout isn't going to be quite the same. Um, and we'll have to like spend time with it to know what will work and not work. But our hope is to could, you know, to still be able to provide to provide those comfortable spaces for artists to be in and create in. Um, and even just to visit in, right? Like people just to come hang out and be around each other as artists, you know, um, mm -hmm. kind of what we're trying to create a comfortable space for Native people, you know, <laughs> with the arts to be in, um, especially when we live in a place like Rapid City, South Dakota, which can be really hard. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, which can be hard. So one question I, I ask a number of the artists, and I think it would be really interesting uh, for you, is who were who are and were your influences along the way? I, it's funny, I was, because I read the questions beforehand, and I was thinking about this one a lot. Because um, I, you know, I mean, I have, I think about and say all the time, like my parents are 
huge influence um, on me. My grandparents are, um, but you know, as I as I grow and <laughs> become older, there is just like any person that I've in, interacted with in my life has influenced me in some way. Um, you know, but really my family my are the ones that helped ground me in being a Lakota person, um, what that means, um, helped to form my values and um, who I am at my core, you know, um, how I interact with the world. Um, I just think there's, and there's pivotal moments, like, <laughs> Um, I, especially like thinking about my family and when, about my values and how I try to be with the world, um, it's like things that I've seen like my grandma do or my mom do that are like hard, you know, <laughs> when there's, a, when they have to do hard things and they do them so gracefully, um, I always think. Yeah, I hope I could be that way. <laughs> mm. I hope I could be like that, you know, someday. Um, and so I always strive for those things. Um, so, you know, and I think like when um, when you're like really mad at somebody <laughs> or really um, upset with somebody, and then you have to interact with them and you still do it. And they, my mom and my grandma and my aunts can all do it very gracefully and still like be not good to the people, even if they're mad at them <laughs> or angry, mm -hmm. um, they can still be, you know, caring. Um, and I always, when I was younger and when I could, my temper could help, you know, kind of fly off the handle a little bit. Cause I was like a feisty teenager. <laughs> um, and I would see them act that way. I think, okay, <laughs> you know, man, I hope I could be that way someday. And so, you know, those types of things influence me and um, and things like how my dad is just like the most caring person to everybody and like a big cheerleader. He's so, you know, he has three daughters and um, he's so supportive of, um, I'm so lucky to have such a supportive man in my life, you know, that um, he's so like uplifts women all the time and, um, and girls and it's just always encouraging that we could just do whatever we want you know <laughs> never tells us that because we're girls we have to do things a certain way he's like just do whatever you want to and he cheers us on all the time he's like our biggest cheerleader um so i think about those things and uh but you know there are interactions i've had with um other lakota women um that just really that it sticks with me and how they interact with the world and um, and how fierce they can be. Um, and so just, I guess, you know, I guess if I had a one word or a couple, one sentence answer, it would be Lakota women. Um, they influence me and their fierceness. And, you know, I'm lucky enough to have a, a boss, you know, the president of First People's Fund is a Lakota woman. Um, she's just really, her fierceness for Lakota people and, and Native people, um, it's really amazing to watch and be inspired by. 
um, they're still, you know, and just so far from people, even people I don't know, like a lot of the leaders of educational institutions, tribal colleges or women, native women, they influence me. But I'm also like inspired by young people um, who continue to challenge and push for things to grow and be better. Um, and yeah, their fierceness. My 11 year old, like he really inspires me and influences me. Same with my 24 year old, you know, they always challenge me um, to be, <laughs> to always be thinking differently and to, to not become a crabby old lady, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know, I just, I'm influenced by so many people and, but mostly Lakota women, you know, they influence how I interact with the world. I may have got ahead of myself in the, the second question um, about having, uh, how have you developed your career? Um, I, I think you laid that out really nicely. Um, if, so for opportunities, uh, what types of opportunities have presented themselves to you uh, in, in the, the career that you're in? Uh, the opportunity to work with um to really develop relationships with some artists. So one of the things, like the things I liked about working at the Heritage Center is that it was in the middle of nowhere <laughs> and um, gave the time and space to think and um, develop. And um, so I, you know, I could take my time and putting a, a exhibit together um, outside of the art show um, I also gave the opportunity to kind of experiment because there, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of people coming to the Heritage Center um, every day. You know, <laughs> it wasn't like hundreds of people, you know, sometimes it wasn't even a dozen people coming, <laughs> but there, you know, it wasn't a, so there was this like kind of space to experiment. Um and so I had the opportunity to really develop this deep relationship and friendship with um, Laylee Log Soldier. And I think um, that is one of the like, talk about influential people, like she really influences me, but like just really gave us the opportunity to like push ourselves in what an exhibit could be. Um, and what, um, so I think about those types of things and, um, I hope to, you know, I, those are the kind of opportunities I like is to have the ability to try new things um, and to have the space and time to think and um, develop. And so, you know, so that means for me, like sometimes a lot, there's a long, t and I really have to feel comfortable. Um, like I'm a, you know, I guess I could identify as an introvert. I have a hard time, like, interacting <laughs> with people, um, unless it's on this, like, really deep level on a, like, this ability. I, you know, I don't do well with small talk, and I get overwhelmed with people. Um, but I do like to talk about deep things. Um, I would like to think um, with people and discuss how something might work. And so when I have the opportunity to do that, um, I like to take advantage of that. 
Um, I also look for opportunities where I can be collaborative. I work better when I work um, with other people. I um, like working collectively and um, prefer to do something with somebody else and not on my own. So I always look for those opportunities where I could collaborate. Um, and I collaborate really, you know, I've collaborated a lot with Lely Long Soldier, where it feels like a lot to me, <laughs> just a couple exhibits. But I like, I, one of the my favorite people to collaborate with is my sister, Clementine. Um, she, we're, she's an academic. Um, she's working on her uh, PhD. I guess I'm, I guess I could be an academic too. I'm, I'm working on my doctorate degree as well and um, supposed to be writing my dissertation, but it just feels like a lot. <laughs> so, but she, you <laughs> know, she's lot. working on her dissertation too for her PhD and um, she is, uh, we're always collaborating on um, doing presentations at conferences and things like that. Um, well, she actually kind of drags me along, but I, you know, I wouldn't do those things, um, on my own. And, and I'm always grateful that, you know, she, she includes me and, and, uh, I prefer to do, like I said, I prefer to do something, um, in collaboration with somebody working as a collective. Final question is, as always, what would you say to the 18 to 22 year old that's listening to this conversation? Man, just be yourself, <laughs> you know, um, be confident in, in your, in who you are. If I was talking to my 18 year old, 22 year old self, right? Mm -hmm. Is that what you mean? Yep. Yeah. Okay. I would tell myself to not be so scared of, um, doing things differently. Um, it's okay to be, I just, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm 45 years old and it's just now that I feel okay being myself, you know, um, I feel okay not participating in like casual networking type of conversation. Um, I feel okay telling people like, I don't want to do that icebreaker where I have to make up a dance that explains how I'm feeling today. <laughs> you know, I mean, just having the confidence to be like, no, I don't need to do that. That's okay. <laughs> and um, instead of, just, you know, because I just, I feel like I spent a lot of times just like hiding because I felt so different. And um, I would just tell myself, it's okay. You can be involved um, and be your different self. It's okay. And, um, and I would tell myself to enjoy things more. Um, and not to take myself so seriously, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> um, I, you know, I was so, uh, so like determined to be, to appear successful. And I don't think, um, I think no matter what I do, as long as you're, I don't, I, you know, as long as a person is happy, then you're successful. So I would be less serious and have a little more fun, I suppose. I love that. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> I and I, I feel you. I hate icebreakers. 
I absolutely despise. <laughs> I ha- I was literally in a big meeting and they were like, okay, so we're all going to create a move that, and I was like, oh my God, why do I have to dance? And like, I'm just going to stand here. Yes. <laughs> I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> I, I'm also of the mind of, of uh, sort of sharing thoughts and words and stuff, you know, especially when it's in a large group, because I'm, I'm very time oriented. You know, I, I respect people's time and I, I, value my time and when there's 20 people in the room and we take a few minutes for each person to talk i, I look at my watch well, i don't have a watch but I, you know i look and i'm just like oh no this is going to take an hour you know let's just get down to it <laughs> yeah. my other thing is that i um am a slow processor hmm. so when there's a uh like okay you know tell me what you think what see sometimes seems to me like deep questions and then they're like, okay, so you have two minutes to write and and then you have to like report back. I'm like, I can't do that's too quick for my brain to process <laughs> that information. So yeah, icebreakers are like the, the trick I use to that same thing is, uh, because it's the same with me, very slow processing. Well, it takes a while for me to formulate thoughts like that. Mm-hmm. So I always wait to the end to talk. And then they'll say something thoughtful, but it usually takes me uh, a little bit of time to sort of warm up the engine and to, yeah. to really figure out <laughs> anything meaningful to say. You know? yeah. yeah. So when, there, I, when I call on people, I don't want to be called on first, please. Don't call <laughs> That's the nightmare. That's absolutely. Yeah. Well, Mary, thank you so much for this. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. Um, I had a good time, too. I appreciate it. And that does it for this episode of Five Playing Questions. I want to thank Mary again for her time and sharing her story with us. On a personal note, um, I grew up with an educator in the house. Uh, my mother was an elementary school teacher, eventually uh, receiving multiple master's degrees and eventually her, her PhD in education. So I, can, I feel like I can fully relate to the story of Mary uh, growing up with educators as parents, going back to school and achieving those, those uh, high-level degrees to be able to teach and run schools such as they did. So uh, it was really great to be able to hear another story uh, about this. And of course, her work as a curator and administrator, and she's co-owner of Racing Magpie, which is a fantastic uh, art center in Rapid City, South Dakota. If you're in the area, you have to check them out. They do so much for the indigenous artist community and a lot of work her and Peter Strong, uh, who is such a fantastic individual. Uh, It's really great to be able to know uh, these folks. It's really great. So, uh, Mary, uh, thank you again so much. I want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. So please join us next week as we speak with another incredible person. I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on Canna, that's C-A-N-A-A, Creativity Among Native American Artists, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, across social media, and at the plainsart.org website. There you can see our programming, past videos, and these podcasts. If you have a suggestion for someone for me to interview, please find us on Facebook or Instagram and message me. I'd really like to hear from you. So take care, and we'll see you next week. This has been an 11 Warrior Arts production.